Good morning, everyone. It is good to see everybody here. I know there are several that are out uh, this morning um, because of sickness, uh, but we're glad that you are here. There are, have been some that are exposed uh, to the COVID uh, virus, and so you might see them walking around with a mask, but if they're here, that means they've tested negative. And so we're glad that they're able to be here and pray for those that are not uh, able to be here this morning. Uh, now, we had planned this morning to start a new sermon series, uh, but because of various extenuating circumstances, I have decided to push that back by one week. Uh, so August 13th, we're going to uh, start a new series that will run through Labor Day, and um, you may have some questions about this and also about community groups and different things, um, if you will look on the back of your bulletin, there's a, a full explanation about the schedule for community groups this month. We're going to have four weeks of community groups this month. And um, so, you know, just a reminder for those who might be watching or listening to this, uh, you know, that's not in the room, you can get a copy of that bulletin on our website or through the interactive notes on the YouVersion Bible app. So it's on today's events. Um, so we're assuming uh, that you, you or your group has not been in, affected by the COVID virus, you will have community group this week, all right? Uh, I know that there are at least one or two, maybe three groups that are going to be affected, but um, it is what it is, right? You know, it has actually been a fantastic week uh, other than a whole bunch of people ending up getting sick at the end of it. It has been a fantastic week uh, this past week at church camp. Um, our church took about 30 plus adults and students to the Ozark Baptist encampment in Siloam Springs this past week. And numbers for the camp overall were up significantly. In fact, by about 100, uh, well, 150 people are by 50%. There were over 470 campers uh, this year. And Brother Paul Young did an amazing job sharing the gospel message each evening. And there were 56 professions of faith at church camp this week. Amen. Amen. That's right. So excited to, to have that uh, number of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you will remember Brother Sam Redden, my brother-in-law, the son of George and Jereen. Uh, Sam used to be a member of this church and left here several years ago um, to become the pastor of Maysville Missionary Baptist Church. Well, Sam... Uh, had something happen to him this past week that had never happened before because this past Monday evening he had the privilege of leading five of his boys to the Lord in succession. He said it took about 20 minutes, just one right after another after another. And so praise the Lord for that. Um, God really did an amazing work at the Ozark Baptist encampment this past week. Now in our class time, each day, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, our students were introduced to a method for sharing the gospel that's called Life in Six Words. Uh, this evangelistic tool utilizes 
uh, the word gospel as an acronym to share the gospel. And that stands for God, first of all, God created us to be with him. Number two, our sin separates us from God. Number three, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Four, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Five, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And finally, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Now, the students were not just taught these truths. They were, they were taught all of these things in their class time, but they were also introduced to this app that they can use with their family and with their friends in order to share the truth of the gospel with them. This app not only serves as an interactive tract for witnessing, but it's also a way that students can be reminded to pray uh, for their friends and those they know that do not know Jesus. It's also um, a way to keep one another accountable because this is put out by a group called Dare to Share. And so part of it is that you can dare someone to pray for their lost friends or you can dare someone to share uh, the truth of the gospel with one of their lost friends. And so the you know, they send a dare online to their group and, and then they can say, yes, I accept or no, I don't accept the dare. And so it's a great way as a, uh, to use as accountability to witness for Jesus Christ. Um, it's also a fantastic tool and one that Pastor David and our students are already using. And so I want to ask you this morning, would you please keep our students in your prayers as they return to school next week because this is going to be a tool that they can use in school sharing videos sharing uh, pictures that are gospel centric at, with their friends would you pray for them to be witnesses to their classmates would you pray for them to be examples of Christ in all that they do I also once again had the privilege to teach the sponsors class at, at camp this year. Um, you know, I loved being program director at camp for several years, but since letting go of that position, I have been able to focus on training the adults uh, at camp with specific tools for making disciples. And I, I have enjoyed that thoroughly. Last year, we studied from the book of Nehemiah, and I was able to introduce them uh, to one of my favorite things to teach, one of the things that we do here a lot, and that is soap journaling. Um, and the principles, I also focused on the principles for understanding and applying the Bible. Things such as interpret a text within its context. The Bible cannot mean what it never meant. The Bible will never contradict itself. Um, so these are things that I've shared here with many, you many times. Um, in fact, the slide that's on the screen that right now, you may or may not remember it, but it's from a sermon series four years ago. Um, and so these are some of the things I was able to teach uh, to the adults uh, last year. Well, this year I had the opportunity to share this with this group about the goals and the necessity of discipleship. On Tuesday morning, we talked about what 
the most common results are when a person trusts in Christ as their Savior. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when people trust in Christ as their Savior, one of three things usually happens. Either, number one, they become a lost sheep. They're part of the family of God, but they're not part of the family of God every week. <laughs> they're a lost sheep. Or, number two, they become a churchgoer. Or, number three, they become a disciple of Jesus Christ. We spent some time discussing the difference between what it means to be a churchgoer and a disciple. Essentially, the difference is that a churchgoer is motivated by outward appearances with very little transformation going on inside them, very little transformation in their character, very little transformation in the way they think. But on the other hand, a disciple is focused more on that internal transformation and an outward focus of ministry to others. And so I challenge them, what is your goal? What are you aiming for? Because if you aim for nothing, you're going to hit your target every time, right? So what is our goal? Are we trying to make churchgoers or are we trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ? So on Wednesday morning, we read from Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 13, in order to define what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. And that is someone who becomes mature in their faith to the point of uh, adulthood or manhood is what verse 13 says. And we looked at all of chapter 4 then and looked at some of these characteristics of what it means to be a disciple. It says there that we should strive to grow up in Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, this morning, folks, I've had discipleship on my brain all week long. And so I just, as I was trying to prepare for next, you know, the next sermon series, it just wasn't coming, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to scrap it and let's talk about discipleship this morning. We'll talk about anger next week. Aren't you excited? That's, that's the next, next sermon series. Um, but I want us to take a few minutes to look a little deeper into this subject of discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And what does it mean to actually disciple someone? You see, from the very beginning of his public ministry, Jesus was calling disciples to follow me, he said, and I will what? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's from Matthew 4, verse 19. And so the first thing that we see about discipleship is that discipleship starts in the harvest. Let's go to the Bible and look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and unlike my normal routine of choosing a passage of Scripture and exegeting that to its fullest, this morning is more of a topical message. So bear with me. Uh, hopefully I won't try to exegete every passage and we'll get out of here before 2 p.m. Um, and... Some of you thought, hmm, I'm working on my exit strategy now. 
So let's read from Matthew chapter 9. In verse 36 here, Jesus says, or the Bible says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send forth or send out laborers into his harvest. Now, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to look there. If you don't want to turn, it's just one verse, and it'll be on the screen above. As Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven after his resurrection, he says to his disciples in verse 8, he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the first thing that we're noticing here is that discipleship starts in the harvest. So to what was Jesus referring in Matthew chapter 9 when he spoke about the harvest? Well, I believe and I think scholars will agree with me that the harvest here is the, the process of making disciples. He's talking about the work of disciple making. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says in the Gospels, Jesus frequently refers to the harvest of souls. In explaining the parable of the tares, which is in Matthew 13, Jesus said the harvest is the end of the world. And so when we talk about the harvest work, we're talking about going out into the world and finding those people who do not know Jesus Christ and telling them the truth of the gospel. That's why I say disciple making starts in the harvest. A lot of times people say discipleship is Bible study for believers. But no, the first step of making disciples is to lead them to Christ. Before returning to heaven, Jesus told his followers that they would be witnesses of him. We just read that. After the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What was the result of their witness? What was the result of their evangelistic effort that we see there in the beginning of the book of Acts? The result were, was the making of disciples. Disciples were made as a result of their witness about Jesus. After Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, the church, it says in Acts 2.41, added that day about 3,000 souls. In verse 47, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter finished his sermon on Solomon's portico just outside or near the temple, it says in verse 4 that many of those who heard the word and believed, many of those who heard the word, they believed. 
And the number of the men came to about 5,000. And then by the middle of Acts chapter 5, the Bible tells us in verse 14 that more than ever believers were added to the, to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Chapter 6 verse 1 tells us that they continued to increase in number. And then if we look at Acts chapter 6 verse 7, it says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The number of the disciples. The scripture is very clear. A disciple is a follower of Christ. And discipleship starts in the harvest. If we want to be a church that focuses on disciples and making disciples, then our first responsibility is to share the gospel with those who do not know Jesus Christ. You know, there is no division in Scripture between evangelism and discipleship. So I wonder, why do we try to separate them? Have you noticed that? We talk about evangelism, we talk about discipleship. Why don't we talk about making disciples? Because evangelism is the first step of a process of making dis disciples. And we have a responsibility to make disciples. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to the lost. We cannot focus all of our efforts on teaching people inside the four walls of this building. And so often, I mean, we talk about the fact we are people of the word, right? We spend time understanding and knowing what God's word says. But we can't spend all of our time just focused on those inside. We must become harvest workers because that is where discipleship starts. Now, if you would, let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Because the next thing we see is that discipleship embodies Christ's commission. And so if, if it embodies Christ's commission, we must read uh, Christ's commission. This is one of five places in the Gospels that Christ commissions his, his followers. Uh, it is the most commonly read when talking about the Great Commission. Verse 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Discipleship embodies Christ's commission. There are three things I want us to notice about this this morning. The first is that discipleship recognizes the comprehensive authority of Christ. Did you notice it says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. We are able to do the work of making disciples because he is the power and he is the authority at work in us 
and through us in this process of disciple making. In one of my favorite books on discipleship, Bill Hull wrote this. He said, all is the Great Commission's key word. All authority, all sacrifice, all out effort, all the time for all people. How could anything else the church could think up be nearly as important as the Great Commission? We must recognize the authority of Christ. The second thing I want us to see here is that discipleship requires public confession of Christ. You see, it says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This concept of baptism is a way to proclaim our faith. It is a way to publicly confess, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And our discipleship pathway here at Temple, Path 1, Section 3, is all about faith. It's, it's titled Faith in the Christian Life. And there are three lessons on faith in this section of Discipleship Path 1. And those, those lessons are this. Proclaiming your faith through baptism, sharing your faith through witnessing, and exercising your faith through trusting. Folks, if we are to be the disciples that Jesus wants us to be, then we must not hide who we are. We must publicly confess that we are followers of Christ. Once again, Bill Hull wrote that Christianity was never meant to be a private ritual that takes place inside church walls. For Christianity to flourish, he said, disciples must start out public and remain public. We have to publicly confess our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp or put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. So what does it say next? So let your light shine before others so that, you may, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We must be the light of the world. So discipleship requires public confession of Christ. But thirdly, discipleship requires complete submission to Christ. Notice again in Matthew 28 what it says in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, the same usage of this word observe is also found in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 14 where Paul tells Timothy to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to observe all that I have commanded or to keep these commands, that's the same concept here. So this word observe in Matthew or keep in 1 Timothy carries with it this idea of 
obedience or fulfilling a command. In fact, it has, in other usages of the word, it has a military concept uh, behind it where you're following a command. So we are to observe, obey everything that Jesus Christ has commanded us. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. A disciple is someone who does what Jesus tells us we are supposed to do. That's why Paul wrote in the, in the book of Colossians chapter 1. That's why he wrote these words about discipleship there in that book. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 Paul says, him, speaking of Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, he says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love what Paul has to say here about discipleship. Notice what he says. He says that discipleship or this process of teaching them to observe all things includes this idea of warning everyone and teaching everyone in order to present everyone as obedient, mature disciples of Christ. That's our goal. To warn everyone, teach everyone so that we may present everyone as a mature follower of Jesus Christ. This is the work, he says, that he he struggles and toils in. He pours himself into this work of making disciples. But notice what he says there in verse 29. This is beautiful, y'all. He said that this work can only be accomplished by the energy of God at work in him. Here's the beautiful thing about discipleship. God is the one who makes disciples. God is the one who transforms the human heart. God is the one who builds our character and helps us be people of integrity. But God wants to use us in that process of building up others. The great news is, is that the the work of discipleship is not dependent upon me. It's the work of God. That's what he says. Verse 29. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's the, the working of God in me and through me. Folks, if we really, truly want to be a disciple and a disciple maker of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. There is no amount of willpower or stubbornness or angst that can make us transform our lives. There's not enough power within you to make that happen. It's only through the power of God in you that it can If you're trying to change your life through willpower, 
It may work for a few days, maybe even a few weeks. But folks, what are you doing? I mean, if, if you really carry that through and think about it, if you're trying to become a disciple of Christ through your own power, then you're trying to earn salvation through works. Folks, salvation is a gift of God. It is by grace we are saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast or brag. No amount of willpower can bring about the change that is required to be a disciple of Christ. So if we hope to become mature disciples, if we hope that we will become mature in our spiritual development, it will only be through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in me as I yield myself to His will. That's why Jesus gave us a great example in Luke chapter 22 in his prayer when he said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. We need to pray that prayer daily. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Not what I want to happen, Lord, but what you want to happen. Not in my power, Lord, but in your power at work in me and through me. Folks, if we observe all that he has commanded us to do, then we are yielding our will to be obedient to him and yielding our will to be obedient to his word. So discipleship embodies Christ's commission, his authority, our baptism, public confession of him, and our complete submission to him. The next thing I want us to notice about discipleship is that discipleship cannot be done without a disciple maker. Discipleship cannot be done without a disciple maker. Would you turn with me now to 2 Timothy? And I apologize, we're all over the New Testament this morning. But the thing is, is discipleship is all over the New Testament. So we got to look at a whole lot of it. Um, and some of this is review because we've looked at some of these passages before. Um, but I think it's good for us to review these things regularly. Discipleship cannot be done without a disciple maker. Notice what Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now jump up over to verse 12. That second, second phrase there, starting that next sentence, it says, But I, Paul, but Paul, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith 
and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In this passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see the impact that Paul has made on his protege, Timothy. We see the impact when Paul says in verse 8, reminding Timothy, publicly confess your faith. Don't be ashamed, he says. Fan into the flame in verse 6, and then don't be ashamed in verse 8. Confess your faith publicly about Christ. And then in verse 9, Paul reminds Timothy to be holy in and through Christ. It is the work that, that the Holy Spirit is doing in us that makes us holy. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that enables us to serve the Lord in this process of making disciples. And folks, it is a process. In the, in the culture that we live in today, we have so much instant gratification. You know, I mean, if I want pork carnitas, five minutes in a microwave and it can happen. You know, that's pretty amazing. It may not be the best in the world, but it's instant gratification. That's not how discipleship works. It is a process. Sanctification is a process. And so Paul reminds Timothy to allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in him and through him in this process. And then in verse 12, Paul affirms his belief in Jesus' salvation. And he maintains that the truth of the gospel has been entrusted to him. Do you notice that? I'm convinced that God is able to guard against all things that may come against me until that day. He is able to guard what has been entrusted to me, he says. And then he goes on and tells Timothy, guard the good deposit that it was entrusted to you. Folks, if something is entrusted to you, it, it is being given to you from someone else. This concept of the gospel that changes our lives, this process of being a, a disciple of Jesus Christ is entrusted to us by a disciple maker. Discipleship cannot be done without a disciple maker. And as soon as I make that point, God immediately brought up to my mind Galatians chapter 1. And you say, well, what's in Galatians chapter 1? Well, every disciple of Jesus Christ had someone who entrusted the gospel to him with the exception of one man. And that was the apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 through 18 um, gives us what seems to be an exception to this rule. You see, after his mar marvelous, miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, uh, Paul went out into the deserts of Arabia for three years. And during that time, he was discipled, it says, by the Lord himself. Now, in a 1992 edition of the Bible study magazine called Table Talk, 
Frank, where's his name? Frank Farrell. Yes, Frank Farrell wrote these words. He said, it has been, often been remarked that Paul clearly implied that he spent three years being taught by Jesus himself, either directly or perhaps more likely through the study of the word. Thus, like the other apostles, Paul studied with Christ for three years before beginning his ministry. And so this, this experience seems to be unique to Paul. Jesus Christ taught him, discipled him in the desert. I always refer to this time as his time at the, the Arabian Theological Seminary. I mean, it's three years. It, it makes sense, right? Um, but every other disciple of Jesus Christ, every other follower, had someone in their life that discipled them, that entrusted to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to refer to Jesus' apostles, Jesus was their discipler. And then from there, they discipled others. Consider Paul's first letter to Corinth. In, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And then just a couple verses later in chapter 11, verse 1, do you know what Paul had the audacity to write? Thankfully, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. You see, folks, the whole process of making disciples is for us to entrust what we have learned into others. As we seek to do everything for the glory of God, we ask others to watch our lives and imitate us. In other words, becoming a disciple of Christ is more caught than taught. Do you, do you know that phrase? You know what I mean by that? You see, we act like our parents, not because they teach us how to act that way, but we watch them every day of our lives and we act like that because we catch it we do it naturally because we're we're imitating them whether we want to or not right discipleship is more caught than taught so we begin to imitate those who disciple us as we watch their lives this is by design. This is the way God designed this process of disciple making. And because of this, folks, we cannot become the person that God intends for us to become if we stay in isolation. We need each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, we must live in community with each other in order to become the person that God wants us to be. So what are, what are the implications of this point? Well, first, to be a disciple maker, we must live a life that exemplifies Christ. We must live a life that brings honor and glory to Christ. We must imitate Christ so that others will be able to imitate us and thereby imitate Christ as well. 
The second thing that I see is that to be a disciple maker, we must spend time with our disciples. If discipleship is more caught than taught, then they have to have time with us to catch it. If there's no time, if there's, no, if there's nothing happening in that relationship, then, then they won't catch it. I cannot. Hear me here. I cannot disciple you from this pulpit. I can teach you, and I hope that you learn things from God's word. I hope I teach you how to study God's word. But I cannot be a disciple maker to you from this pulpit. We need time. One-on-one -on -one or one-on-small group. Together. Living life. That's what it means to make disciples. You know, about five years ago, I shared this concept, and that is that everyone needs a Paul, and everyone needs a Timothy. So we must sit in the middle. What does that mean? It means that everyone needs somebody who is pouring into them. Everyone needs somebody that is discipling them. But we also, every one of us, need somebody that we're pouring into. Every one of us needs a Timothy, a protege that we are discipling also. So my question to you this morning is, who are you discipling? And secondly, who is discipling you? If we continue looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 brings us to our final point this morning. The Bible says there, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, you hear that word again? Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The last thing I want us to look at today is that discipleship requires faithfulness, not expertise. You know, too many people feel inadequate to be a disciple maker because they are convinced that they are not worthy to do that. They are convinced that they're not able to do it. Oh, preacher, I don't know enough about God's word to do that. Well, there's a solution for that problem, number one. But... God does not ask for his disciple makers to be experts. He asks them to be faithful. He says, what you've heard from me, Paul said, Timothy, what you've learned from me, entrust it to faithful men so that they can go and teach others also. God calls us to be faithful disciples, not successful disciples, faithful disciples. When we focus on our ability to be successful in discipleship, we are removing the power of God from the process and depending upon our own power 
to transform a person's life. And let me tell you, folks, it'll never happen if you're depending upon your own power. God doesn't care about our success. He cares about our faithfulness and dependency upon him to be the one to transform us and use us to help others be transformed by him as well. God doesn't need our expertise. He needs our faithfulness. He needs us to yield our lives to be lived for him. And he needs us to entrust what we know into the lives of others. And the way we do that is by doing life together. By doing life together in the Word. Spending time in the Word with one another. So in conclusion, everyone needs a Paul. Everyone needs a Timothy. That means everyone needs somebody discipling them. And they, everyone needs someone that they are discipling. So again, who's discipling you? And by the way, just in case you're wondering, the professional Christians here, a.k.a. the pastors, we need it too. I'm not exempt from needing someone that's discipling me. I've been meeting together with a mentor for the last several years. A man that I've known since I was about eight years old when he sold me my first suit coat in downtown Springdale. His name's Bob. Bob is a man who mentors me. I've had many others that have mentored me in the past. And you know what? No matter how old I get, no matter how far I go in this process, I am always going to need someone to mentor me. You need that too. I don't care who you are. Every single one of you need that too. But God wants us to take what we've learned and pour into others also. So not only do we need a Paul, we need a Timothy. So who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Would you please consider praying for God to give you someone. Someone to be your Paul. Someone to be your Timothy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. And Father, I thank you for the way that you have chosen to bring about change in your followers. Lord, I thank you that you allow us to be a part of that process. But Lord, we entrust that process to you. Lord, we recognize that there's nothing that we can do to transform the lives of others. And so, Lord, we depend upon your power at work in us to transform us and at work in others to transform them. But Lord, that won't happen unless we have people in our lives that are walking together with us in discipleship relationships. And so, Lord, I pray now for each one here this morning. I pray that you would give them the courage to believe and to know that they can be a disciple maker.
And Lord, I pray for you to soften their hearts, to help them realize that they need someone to disciple them. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy. We thank you for the commission of Christ. And Lord, we submit ourselves to your will this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.